Welcome to episode 138 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week, we begin our Life is Strange series. Let's get right into it. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Shaker McCourt, and today I have two friends with me. The first friend, you know him, you love him. His name is Michael Ruffalo. I'm excited to talk about a game we've been talking about playing for a very long time. This podcast is almost five years old, and I swear that we've been talking about Life is Strange for most of that five years. Yeah, at least four out of the five. And here to join us today... Uh, our second friend, uh, Flora Eloise. Welcome back to the show. Woo! Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be here. Uh, and uh, special announcement. Ding, ding, ding. Let's just start with this. Um, Wait, Jacob. Flora Why Eloise. Flora here? Uh, because Flora is one of the new hosts of the Left Behind Game Club. Woo! That's amazing. Woohoo! Um, so I'll just say a quick thing about having you on the show. You've been on three episodes before, 85, 122, 131. So that's a short hike. Uh, Hades and last day of June yep. and each time it's been magic on the mics so um, having you as a host on this show is uh, is a dream so not would to love be for with magic Mike the stripper movie. <laughs> oh, I didn't get that joke at all I was but... about to say I'm coming on strong not understanding the reference I'm wait, so sorry wait whoa sorry not to derail this so hard but like have you never seen magic Mike are you not familiar with magic I understand Mike, what it is oh, okay. I don't believe I've seen it either what Channing Tatum. It's the stripper movie. This should be a gauntlet question. (laughs) (laughs) What? Anyway, Flora, uh, welcome. Uh, If folks haven't heard you uh, on a podcast before, uh, tell us about yourself. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, This is an awesome opportunity. I've been a longtime listener. Um, I used to do a podcast of my own called uh, Ludo Narrative FM, and we would examine kind of the intersection of video games and storytelling. And we covered a number of similar games to you all at the time. And that's, I believe, how I found the podcast is when we were gearing up at the end of 2017, uh, I was looking for like Shadow of the Colossus episodes or Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons episodes. And um, for whatever reason, the algorithm and the gods, you know, kind of united and brought me the podcast. And um, at some point, I started following you all on Twitter and interacting in that space, and uh, eventually we collaborated on some episodes. So um, here we are. I no longer do that podcast, but I do still run epilogaming.com, and um, that's a website where we talk about like video games that leave a lasting impact on you, whether or not that's a storytelling focus or not. That used to be kind of our main driving force, but um, we do articles and like small podcasts of our own, Twitch streams, all sorts of things like that. So You do uh, this podcast now. Yeah, I'm adding this <laughs> to my repertoire, and this is awesome. It's nice to have that like outlet to be able to like literally discuss games out loud as opposed to uh, endlessly writing into the void in the internet. <laughs> We're, we're very, very happy to have you. Thank you so much. And honestly, we are starting with a game that I'm very excited uh, that you're here for because I know that you are a big fan of it. Uh, it is Life is Strange, uh, developed by Don't Nod, uh, published by Square Enix uh, on every platform you can imagine. Uh, Android, iOS, Linux, Windows, OS X, PS3, PS4, Xbox 360, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and remastered uh, as of uh, today is February 1st, uh, as of today. Uh, that's when we're recording it. It was originally released on January 30th of 2015. Uh, I want to start with the fast pitch. This is the episode or the segment of the show where we give you one sentence about what Life is Strange is all about. And, you know, as our resident expert, 
Uh, and I'm going to tell you why later in the show. But Flora, I think as the new host, uh, it is it is up to you to kick us off here. Set the well, bar high. For once, I didn't come with one prepared. So I would describe Life is Strange as a melodramatic high school experience in the vein of Telltale's The Walking Dead, but one where you are, in fact, encouraged to do the time warp again. Ooh, very good. Very good. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I can uh, just go. I can go next. No, no, no. Because here's the thing. I never prepare these. And <laughs> I just need to get this out of the way so you can have the redemptive, like, here's the good one. Um, like a lot of our, like a lot of our intros. So, um, life is strange is, I'm going to ape something from Flora here. It's a telltale style, um, choose your own adventure game where the puzzles, uh, are breaking through different storytelling beats and using heavy emphasis on a rewind feature. Mine is very simple and I pre-prepared it. Are you ready? Yes. YA the video game. That's yeah. That's it. That's it. That was that was all of it. They say brevity uh-huh. is the soul of wit. You encapsulated yeah. everything. Yeah. Uh, speaking of encapsulating everything, uh, let's move into the time capsule. Uh, this is the part of the show where we tell you about uh, the zeitgeist around the original game's release. Um, Life is Strange came out like almost seven years ago now, and it has spawned a bunch of games. Um, but before we talk about the series and the games that came out around that game, I want to ask you, what is your experience with, um, games like this one? Uh, I would consider anything like an episodic telltale game or even like coming of age stories as, as, um, experience here. Let's start with Flora. Yeah, I certainly have that background with the Telltale games. I think of The Walking Dead again, or like Batman, or um, even, uh, what's the one? Uh, Wolf Among Us. That's one of the favorites from back in the day. Jacob Um, is the big bad wolf. Yes, who could Mm -hmm. forget? Um, (laughs) God, you caused so much pain and suffering in that playthrough. Um, So much. (laughs) Some of the other games, though, I I kind of associate this uh, game heavily with like the Quantic Dream style of games as well, like your Heavy Range, your Detroit Become Humans, Beyond Two Souls, etc. Even though mechanically and like graphically they are quite different. um, Then there's also like the nature of kind of like time rewinding, time loops, that sort of thing. Um, I have more of an experience through like, let's say, television film rather than video games. This was kind of the first time travel focused game that I can remember playing. Yeah, let me... So... I, you really threw me for a loop, Jacob, when you're like, and you know, like coming of age stories, because yeah. I don't think of that as a type of game. I I think of that as a type of story, but you're right. Like this game is like, I don't know if I'm thinking of a slider between story and game, um, and maybe <laughs> that's an unfair slider to put it on. Uh, it, it feels like this is a 80%, 90% story versus game. So I understand why you might why you might put it that way. Um, I don't think I play a lot of games like this, but I played a good chunk of the Telltale games for this very podcast um, and a couple of them before this podcast. Outside of that, I tend to not play uh, adventure games. Um, the point and click or the navigate your tank around, those things don't tend to, to click super, super well with me as much as I do like Telltale's uh, storytelling. What about you? Yeah. I guess I'm in the same boat where I, I love Telltale's games. Um, but if you were to ask me, like, hey, did you play King's Quest? I'd be like, uh, no. Uh, but I do love a coming-of-age story. Um, I thought immediately of a show called Life Unexpected. It ran on the CW in 2010. It starred Britt Robertson. The CW, baby. Uh, and it was based in Portland. And it's actually about, like, a child who 
uh, was given up for foster care and discovers her birth parents are separated but live in Portland. One's a radio DJ and one owns a bar. Um, it's 26 episodes and couple. it's like perfect like encapsulation of what CW is. Uh, and it reminded me a lot of this game. So I love coming of age stories in TV and film and then like Telltale's game. So this to me was so perfect and I'm so sad that I haven't played it until now. Um, Flora, you brought up Quantic Dream um, two games that came out in the same month as the first episode of Life is Strange. Um, the remaster of Fahrenheit, um, a.k.a. Um, Indigo Prophecy. Game. Indigo yes, Prophecy. Indigo Prophecy. Yes. Thank you. Uh, which was made by Quantic Dream. Uh, and then the remaster of Grim Fandango also came out in the same month as the first episode of this one. So Just adventure game packed. Adventure games aplenty. Yeah. Um, I want to know your experience. So go, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, no. What, what were people saying about it when it came out? I mean, I've got some some reviews if you want me to read yeah, those out. Yeah, let me know. Let me know. I'm curious. Okay, I got three reviews for you. The first from PC Gamer, 84 out of 100. Episodic time-traveling teenager simulator Life is Strange is, at its, as its adolescent cast might put it, hella cool. Set within the lust Pacific Northwest, it shoes you in the loafers of one Maxine Caulfield, a gawky teen freshly returned from the big city. She's a photophile obsessed with old cameras, an admirer of skater dudes, and just awkward. Charmingly awkward, really. Much like the rest of Life is Strange. GameSpot, 7 out of 10. Inconsistencies of time reversal aside, Life is Strange is an involving slice of life that works because its situations eloquently capture a peculiar early college state of mind. Mike, you were pointing oh, so aggressively man. there. I can't wait to talk about the inconsistencies of time travel here. <laughs> it's, this is one of the things that really annoyed me about this game. Ooh. And then finally, US Gamer, 6 out of 10, or six, 60 out of 100. Episode 1 is all intro, giving you a look at Max's powers and her supporting cast, but not much else. There's hints of bigger things on the horizon, but neither issue is immediate within Episode 1. I'm intrigued, but Episode 2 needs to give me a stronger reason to finish all five episodes. Flora, you are our, our I guess, most experienced with Life is Strange. Tell me about how much you've played this game. Yeah, um... So I want to touch on some of the things in those reviews, but my experience with Life is Strange, I played this right at the end of 2017, and this is coming at a period of my life, like in the middle of uh, when I was working on my master's degree, and so I was kind of not playing a lot of video games at this point in my life. Um, I had kind of shelved that as a hobby. Uh, here and there I would play a game, but like this was a period where I had kind of had a little a bit of an awakening, like video games can be taken seriously and blah, blah, blah. And so Life is Strange is one of the games that I kept hearing about, and so I played it um, in... I think it was two sittings, like, over the course of a 24-hour period, and I just got completely sucked in. I did nothing else but play it. And I think um, we'll talk about some of the reasons why it hooked me so much, um, somewhere between, like, the art and the music and even the themes and the story. But um, I think one of the things that really uh, spoke to me when you were reading those reviews just now, um, the GameSpot review set, uh, describes it as an early college state of mind. And if I had to peg it down, like, I think I was 23 when I played this game. Oh. And that that feels kind of prime. Like, this game is set in a high school, and it's aimed down at, like, a 17, 18-year-old sort of character cast. But ultimately, I think it's kind of written with, like, that early college, like, just past your freshman year sort of mentality. Or at least that's... I believe why it landed with me when it landed. Um, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. Okay, so uh, you've played this one. Have you played any of the other games in the series? Yes. Um, so it's full disclosure, on epiloggaming.com, uh, I have written and published over 10 articles about the Life is Strange series. My first two articles ever were... A resident were, expert. 
I guess. Um, my first two articles were about the original Life is Strange game. Um, and so I've done a lot of that. And then I did like an episode by episode review while Life is Strange 2 was coming out. So I've played that um, at least once every episode, some of them multiple times. I've also played the, uh, I think it's the Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit is the title of the little like standalone little short story thing that connects with Life is Strange 2. And then Life is Strange True Colors and Wavelengths. Like, I, I'm sorry to ramble, but I've literally played all of them at least once. Um, so it's safe to say fan. you kind of like these games. I, I do, reluctantly. I have so much to criticize, even in this first episode, uh, when I was replaying it. Some of it was was showing its ugly warts to me. But at the same time, uh, there is an incredibly like soft, protective part of me that really loves these. Yeah. And you've also played Tell Me Why, right? Which is not yes. in the Life is Strange game but is also made by Don't Nod, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, that's one of the games. Um, I have an article about when I first came out as trans where I decided like, hey, I want to use these uh, video games as like a vehicle to discuss this experience and this this kind of like way of looking at myself. And um, Tell Me Why was one of those uh, games that I played that was like in a public setting where I was already having a conversation about these topics with people. And it made me feel like really incredibly uh, safe with those people to talk about these things. And uh, it was an incredibly helpful game for me. So um, if you care about like LGBTQI issues i think that that is an incredible resource just literally just playing that game cool. uh, i'll make sure to link in the show notes a few of your articles about life is strange and and tell me why so if folks want to read them after the podcast so or right now they can do so awesome thank I, you i have questions about don't it's don't <laughs> nod right yeah don't nod's the developer where are they based out of uh france i believe okay that that rings so true in my experience in the so writing far. yes <laughs> Yeah. Um, because, you know, I think you had mentioned or some of the, the review had mentioned, oh, it's written from like a young college perspective. Mm -hmm. But for me, it, it was it was written from a foreigner's perspective yeah. of what American culture is. 100 um, percent. And is very alien in a way that the X-Files bumper plate is not alien. <laughs> like there are some this game is weird in some ways that just made me feel unsettled uh, by <laughs> By, yeah, in the ways that, like, you know, I've got some friends that maybe don't have the most cultural understanding. And they, they, when I, sometimes I feel like I'm explaining humanity to an alien at times. Um, but the, this game feels like it's trying to pretend to be human at, at, at moments. And it was pretty unsettling. Can I give you a perfect example that encapsulates what you just said? Yeah. Um, there's a moment in the episode, this is not, we're going to spoil the entire series here. So if you've not played Life is Strange, this is your warning. We're now diving in. Um, for Life is Strange, there's a moment where the, where the two female leads of the game, um, they are on the bed and like one of them smoking weed and they're just like really awkwardly dancing. And to me, that is the perfect encapsulation of what you've, what you've said, Mike. That is Hughes, but if Hughes was written by someone who doesn't understand America. Who's only ever experienced it through cultural products, not yes, ever exactly. in person. I think that is absolutely true with at least the original Life is Strange. I think they get better as you progress through the series, but like on its own, at least this first episode, there's these strange references that do not feel authentic. Like I interact with young people in my job all the time. And when I hear um, there's a teacher in the beginning of this episode, uh, Mr. Jefferson, who says something about he references a John Lennon quote, like life is what happens while you're busy making other uh, yes. plans. And then all one Gen of the, Xers. One of the <laughs> ways that you have to like pass through the scene is to rewind and then know the quote and um which is lovely but like the reference of john lennon is so disconnected from that like it just feels like such a packaged and shipped uh pr like postcard <laughs> of american culture it's so strange 
Flora, do you don't think millennials when they were uh, in the in the early two thousand mid two thousands would have related to it the John Lennon quote? I mean, I yeah, imagine, it just, yeah, it exactly, exactly. I don't. I think we would have had more effort trying to educate them on who the Beatles were than uh, than than anything. So, yes, completely, completely agree with you. I think we're ready to, to dive in here. Uh, before we do that, um, Flora, you played it twice the first episode for this podcast. Yes. Once on the regular non-remaster and once on the remaster. Um, I played it on the remaster and Mike played it on the non-remaster, right? I played it on the original on the Xbox. Okay. Um, I think just quickly covering what's in the remaster, there's a, gra- a new graphical treatment for it. But the weird thing that I saw was that at the end, there's a cutscene, and that cutscene wasn't remastered. Oh so, my god! So yeah. th- I didn't hear about this. I had no expectations about this. Like randomly, like it was like a 720p cutscene that was pre-rendered. Um, it looked so out of place. It had glowy like edges to all the character models. It was so unbelievably jarring. I'm not even a graphical snob, but I'm playing on like the whatever the very high settings are, and it does in some places look really nice and touched up mm-hmm. specifically some of the uh, non-main character character models weirdly enough um more so than <laughs> even max but um i it's such an like a an inessential purchase like you do not need to play the remaster to get any value out of the story here um it, it's basically identical but that ending cutscene is actually worse than the original game at least in the current state wow. i'm sure it'll be patched but um i finished the episode about 30 minutes before the record and what a shockingly bad oversight to like finish the tone that you're setting for the whole series. That's unreal. Yeah. I can't believe that they didn't catch that in QA or didn't catch that earlier. Yeah. It just seems like they cut a corner. Like that was the corner they cut. It said, we don't have time to re-render or redo this cutscene. Yeah, it just it- seems super weird that you would choose the first episode to cut that corner and not something later in the game when you have more time to patch and fix. Definitely. And and strangely enough, I, like one of the things that was really bothering me about this remaster is that there was no marketing leading up to this release. Not that there needs to be, but it is clearly their like best-selling game, Don't Nods. Um, and Square Enix, generally speaking, um, is like I'm sure it sold very well in their books as well. But like this, it was so quiet. I didn't see anything until like randomly about five days ago. Twitter suddenly there were some you know uh, murmurings about this game. But then the fact that only at the last second some comparison trailers came out and even they were not like shocking there was no like clear difference it's just a very shady project that does feel rushed sadly Mm -hmm. yeah i think the thing that you and i were talking because i was like hey can i go into a store and physically get this because i want to play it and they there's no physical release Mm -hmm. at least at, at launch and i didn't realize that you were actually buying life is strange one and the remastered before the storm as well Mm -hmm. yeah so Buyer beware, I guess, on this remaster. I honestly think, and and correct me if you guys, if y'all don't think that I got this right, but I think the best way to try this is downloading the first episode that's free Mm -hmm. on any platform where you can get the first episode for free. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's like 20 bucks for the rest of the the season. So try it, and if you like it, buy it. Buyer beware. Um, Let's set this game up. So Pacific Northwest... Uh, you start the game in what's a you realize is a dream sequence, um, Flora. Since you you just finished it, um, I want to throw it to you and maybe talk about the the lighthouse scene that's that kicks open this game. I just I just quickly want to add, boy, do they really want you to feel like this is the Pacific Northwest? Like they give you <laughs> every possible reference they can 
just be like, hey, look, we saw this cultural product, the X-Files. That was in the Pacific Northwest. Wait, wait, wait. There's another one, Twin Peaks. Yeah, by the way, that was also in the Pacific Northwest. I don't know if you guys know this, but this game is going to take place here. Uh, Ocean, lighthouse, uh, pine trees. That's it, right? Yeah, yeah, kind of. like It felt like there was some kind of grunge music at some point or like influence. So I was like, yeah, like they're really trying to make time, place, and setting. The story begins like in this weird, in the middle of a storm, there's what is described in the game as a tornado, like approaching the coastline. There's what is known as Arcadia Bay. Um, I I take issue with the description of tornado. It's like a cyclone. It's like a water tornado. It's like almost a mini hurricane. But anyway, like a hurricane, exactly. They keep saying tornado and that still bugs me. Um, But anyway, so like it's Max wakes up. It's almost presented like a dream. There's this disorientation. And all of a sudden the game then transitions into the everyday uh, interior of a classroom. And inside of this classroom, Max wakes up, it's clearly presented as a dream, a nightmare, but then things start kind of deteriorating and in, um, the scene kind of results in uh, Max kind of having this surreal experience and these strange bullying interactions in, by her classmates. And um, like in this exchange, um, what Mr. Jefferson is talking about these really heavy handed themes of time and photography and um, kind of the thing that brings Max into focus and you start making player choices is when she takes a selfie, uh, which he then the teacher describes as like some profound art form. And um, yeah, it's just a very weird opening. Like you're kind of thrown into the middle of it and then she's reckoning with her classroom environment and the scene then kind of escalates to the point of violence. And that's where time travel as a mechanic is introduced. Uh, I was streaming this game and the first, you know, I was just enjoying the first, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes and the point where my mouth just was agape was that moment in the bathroom when Max uh, is kind of just taking a picture of a butterfly on a bucket and you just see this like preppy kid pull a gun out of his pants. I'm like, what, am I watching the OC right now? Is it about to go, ooh, what you say? Like I literally, <laughs> that's where my brain went. I was floored. I'm like, okay, this is the video game we're playing. Cool, cool. It's also, yeah, it also feels like, again, on some level, a weird cultural product of people who are not from this culture. Like, ah, <laughs> you know what they have in America? Kids with guns. Yeah. Like, I'm this, French, so I can make this this yeah. impression, but it was like, the Americans, they have guns. <laughs> I guess that didn't land as peculiar to me because um, I guess I've like internalized the fact that Americans are gun loving people. And that's just maybe a weird like it didn't strike me as a strange thing to uh, have presented with the characters. I keep using that word strange. I need to change my vocabulary. Oh, my God. (laughs) You're incepted. You're incepted Uh, by the title of the game. Peculiar. Um, And and like, I don't want to I don't mean to say like. You know, um, know, kids in America don't have guns and don't bring them to school because clearly that's a thing that happens at times. Um, And it is early, I think, playing this first chapter for me to say, oh, this is such a weird cultural artifact. It just felt like um, it felt like one of many other things that added to this feeling like it's not not really created by people who who have lived in that time, place and setting. It doesn't feel like someone who wrote a story from their own experience. Yeah, but really, that's a vehicle to like go through the main mechanic in this game. I knew nothing going in, so I didn't mm-hmm. realize that there was a time reversal mechanic, oh. like a time loop mechanic. Yeah. So playing this in 2022, after we had literally a thousand time loop games in 2021, uh, was was primo, was great. Uh, but that's where you get to see, like, hey, uh, I can reverse time and potentially change the outcomes of the story. 
And much like a Telltale game, uh, there's a butterfly that appears on screen when something happens that will affect the future that says, hey, the action that you just carried out has consequences. Jacob, you really brought up something for me. One, I also had no idea that there was a time loop thing in this game. But also this game is in a weird time loop. Like, when was it released? And when does it take place? So it was released in 15. The setting of the game is probably like... 13? No. It's got... Is there CDs in it? I think it's contemporary um, with its release. I I might be mistaken about the precise year there, but like the sequel, Life is Strange 2, has a small tie-in that is sort of implying 2016, 2017, that sort of... Oh. The weird... So I... 2013 as a date does stick out. So, Jacob, you might be right in that. But I don't remember the year 2013 being (laughs) that antiquated digitally. Like, just the ways in which teenagers are represented just does not does not match up with my recollection of being a teenager at that point in time. Um, So, yeah, definitely felt felt a little weird there, too. I think just looking at, like, the laptops the phones, mm-hmm. the uh, having CDs. Yeah. Uh, and then for me, it was like weed being like weed is legal in Mike and I are Canadian. Weed is legal here. I would imagine that the West Pacific Northwest weed was probably legalized first up there, but there seemed to also be like some weird um, like cultural, like old people are like, ah, you're smoking the weed again. And that seemed very like early 2010s to me. Yeah. It, it just largely felt again, out of place, out of sync, out of touch with what um, what that culture was at that period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely betrays the sense that this was written by a group of people who are all, you know, like straight white dudes in the middle of France, like like reading through like Reddit comments and sifting <laughs> through playlists that way. Like the first song that takes over in the game, uh, one of the opening lyrics um, is called To All of You. And the second line is American girls. Like, like it's like aimed about these teenage girls. Like it's so ridiculously, it's it's like Kojima levels of obvious symbolism. Right. Um, yeah. Where I can <laughs> feel the down. weight. Yeah, they sat down and they said, we're going to write what we know. And mm-hmm. we know how to be a teenage girl <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest. Oh. At the same time, I do want to be charitable because somehow this game spoke to me and made me feel a degree of emotions. <laughs> just maybe not the strongest pilot. Let's say right, that. Right, right, right. You know what? It could also just be, hey, this is filling a gap that there were not enough games doing the types of things that it does. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, if you were to ask me like, Find comparable, like closely comparable games in the way that you can find a million shooters that are, you know, three degrees of differentiation between each other. I don't know if I'd be able to come up with more than two games that are within 30 degrees of what Life is Strange is. Not made by Telltale. Right, exactly. Yeah, um, like I think the shooter analogy works quite well. Like it reminds me of like when I first recognized that Portal was like a first person shooter because like it's taking the interface of something I already know, but it's spinning it in a mechanical way that's significant and impactful for how the story is being told. And so, yes, this game, Life is Strange, is quite like a telltale narrative adventure game, but the rewind mechanic, the time travel loop that it gives you, um, at least for me when I'm playing on controller, like holding down that L2 button feels like a really natural extension of kind of what I feel the Telltale games are missing sometimes, where there's a sense of, is the choice that I'm making now truly impactful? Can I identify the rippling effects or the butterfly effect of my decision at this point in time? And I think 
the time travel mechanic really effectively steered my interest um, because it felt like, cool, I do get to make a weighted decision. Um, for example, towards the end of this episode, uh, or actually, no, it's not. It's There's a decision. It's one of the first major decisions as you leave the school in the beginning, I should have said, um, where you can choose to either... Um, rat out Nathan Prescott, who's the guy with the gun in the bathroom, this little high schooler kid. You can rat him out to the principal and say, hey, this guy was waving a gun around. He should probably do something about that, sir. <laughs> or um, you can like keep the secret for some reason. And when I first played, I distinctly remember rewinding that like three or four times and really deliberating. Of course, this most recent playthrough, I knew kind of where I wanted to go, but I thought that that was a really nice way to interact with what was familiar and like the Telltale style um, choice. You bring up the first choice, and I, that's exactly where I wanted to take this. Um, I did the opposite of both of y'all, um, where I hid the truth. And I usually play the big bad in a lot of these games, where like I take out a lot of my angst as t- to be like a big bad wolf character, if you're interested in, in hearing what that's really like. Um, the Wolf Among Us series that we did, I really became a big bad wolf. Uh, but for some reason, I don't know if it was because it was a, a female protagonist or like a not a mythical creature, but I decided to like maybe be cowardly, if you will. So I hid the truth. I was just worried that like Nathan Prescott clearly has money, influence, and a weapon. So I am just going to let the, the chips lie and figure out what happens next. Y'all did the opposite. Why did you tattle on him? It seemed pretty <laughs> clear that, at least to me, it was very clear of like, yo, this is real effed. Like, this is effed in a lot of really bad ways, but, like, yo, this kid's got a gun. There's, like, there's no way I would be able to feel comfortable with myself. At, at, and, I mean, you know where the story's ultimately going to go. Like, Chekhov's gun, right? That thing's going to be shot at some point. Um, I would just going to feel really uncomfortable if I didn't take the action to at least say, hey, guys, like, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I know this guy's got a gun. And we should probably do something about it. At least I can say I tried. If someone gets killed, I can at least say, yo, our principal, this dude was caught up in money. Like, He's a drunk. Yeah. Well, yeah. Out, could have been his cologne. So the strange thing here is that when I first played it, I do strange. distinctly remember choosing to hide the truth here. Um, my most recent playthrough, I, I wanted to you know rat him out to the principal, but the principal feels sleazy and distrustworthy. And it also, like Mike was saying, like it feels like there's a bit of power being held or implied here. Like, um, like maybe I, like in the video game protagonist sort of way, will be given agency later to handle this violent kid myself. And so if I can't trust the authorities, maybe that makes my life temporarily easier. And having no context of the remaining four episodes, um, that's that's an initial kind of impulse. But um, I don't want to say too much more because I don't believe either of you have any context for episodes two onward. No, no, so, but no. I, zip. I didn't get a v- bad vibe from the principal because I think he he defends you from the uh, I think it's a security guard who's giving you a hard time. Yeah, uh, for does. being in the, in the bathroom still, and it's like, yo, dude, chill out. Like, I'll leave. I was clearly in the middle of something. You're not someone I feel comfortable talking to right now. And the principal comes in and is like, hey, leave her alone. Like, she's going to be going. Um, so I was like, hey, this guy's not too bad. I didn't get like I a mean, super sleazy vibe from him. Max's alibi for a while. So fire alarm gets pulled and that's how you get out of the like murderous gun situation. That's the and puzzle. Max, that's the puzzle. Max comes out of the bathroom and is like, oh, I have uh, girl stuff. And that's just like. It just seemed like as an alibi, maybe a little bit flimsy. So mm-hmm. I guess I understand 
wasn't about like the actual excuse, but the delivery seemed very flimsy and suspicious. Mm-hmm. And I can see why the security guard, who is awful, uh, may have been a little bit suspicious. Are they? The the security guard? Yeah. Awful. Are they? Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. The worst. It's it's not the same security guard we see later, is it? It is. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's where I thought that your objection might be coming from is that we see like a, a uniform off version of this character, David, the security guard, uh, at, at Chloe and uh, or Chloe's house when Max and Chloe go visit. Uh, we should also mention who Chloe is, which is the person yes. getting shot in the bathroom <laughs> who you <laughs> attempt to save at the beginning of the episode. Uh, it turns out that Max and her go back several years. They used to be friends and then kind of were estranged as they, there's that word again. They were they were separated um, as Max moved away and uh, and Max kind of didn't contact her in any way. There was kind of like this implied cutoff and um, that seems to have really hurt Chloe. We're going to do a drinking game. Every time someone <laughs> says the word strange on this podcast, uh, please take a drink. Uh, <laughs> fill her up to start. Um, so that's the first part. I think the middle part of the game, chapters two, three, and part of four are essentially on campus, mostly in the dorms, but there's a little bit uh, in the parking lot as well. And that's when you get to understand like what some of the secondary characters get introduced. And then also you get to learn a little bit more about what the, the campus is all about. Should we? Um, did y'all... Sp- Go ahead, Mike. Should we talk through who some of these cast of characters are and like what the what the setup is? Obviously, there's a lot of characters in the school and they give everybody names and everybody backstories. But we meet a couple of them and it seems like some are going to play bigger roles than others. I, there's Max's. I'm just going to go for it. Love interest. Um, what What is his name? Is it Walter? <laughs> is it Walter? Warren. 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 Yeah. Warren. Big, big W. The guy who is like, yo, <laughs> I got, I got some, I got a flash drive with a lot of hot movies on them for you. Um, which I don't remember that being a thing like that back then, but Hey, you know what? It's, it's cool. Um, there is the very catty, uh, rich girl. What is her name? Fill me in on the Victoria. Details. Victoria, yes. Victoria, XOXO Gossip Girl, um, <laughs> who is just catty and mean and um, creates a lot of drama. Um, and then is there anyone else we, f- we should probably talk about the, the teacher, the very cool, quoting John Mark Lennon Jefferson. teacher. Mark Jefferson. What, what a, a dreamboat. What a dreamboat. <laughs> um, just super cool professor or, or teacher who's just you know teaching you everything about um photography and and justifying your selfies and challenging you to be the best version of you anyone else we need to introduce i mean uh, kate marsh is someone who gets introduced in one part and essentially she just gets threatened by uh, mm-hmm. the security guard um whose name is david uh madsen and, and David, we come to find out, is Chloe's father. Stepfather. Um, that we stepfather, thank you, that we meet and spend more time with yes. later in the episode. And Kate uh, and Kate is yes. the abstinence uh abstinence only Christian girl who I think we meet her early on and is like very sad. Mm-hmm. We offer to go grab tea with her mm-hmm. and she kind of declines. And so we can tell there's something going on, but we can't tell what. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I think it's fair to say, because I actually didn't interact uh, with Kate at all before the confrontation. So I think it's fair to say that you can interact with, uh, there are some obviously parts of this game that you need to do to move it forward, but there are some interactions with characters um, that are optional. Like Mm -hmm. you can actually speak to uh, one of the teachers and sign a petition, which I think is like optional. So Mm -hmm. 
There's the main path, but there are some optional I did that. conversations. Too. I signed that petition. So did I. Yeah, and speaking of some of the optional like side interactions that don't progress anything necessarily, there are a number of sort of achievements attached to optional photographs throughout the campus and other areas where, um, for example, one of my favorite like NPC interactions involves some skateboarder kids who, if you rewind a few times, you can pretend to know some of the skateboarder lingo, and uh, that way Max isn't perceived as a poser. And one of the photographs that you can get is by asking one of the skateboarder kids to do, and I'm going to sound completely detached here, a tray flip, <laughs> um, and and the kid bails on the tra- tray flip move, um, racks himself in the groin, and as he's keeling over on the ground, rocking back and forth in excruciating pain, Max takes a little um, schadenfreude ah. selfie, and um, it's 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 quite endearing. Like there's some interactions where you can um, help a girl avoid being hit by a football that's being spiked. Um, a couple others as well. So you kind of have to really be patient and explore if you want to get those little life-bringing interactions. But um, I think you all did a really nice job of laying out the major characters so far. Uh, There was one additional character, and it is the custodian um, that may play more into this, and I don't know custodian's name. Samuel, yeah. I I don't know, but Samuel didn't give me... He gave me a little bit of creepy vibes uh, when when I first met him. Uh, and uh, I was actually doing it on Twitch, and someone in the chat said, hey, I think it was Seto in the chat said, hey, uh, you'll come around. Or, like, yeah. they're weird, but, like, endearing. Yeah, okay. You know the Goonies? You know the... the, the... I've never seen it. Damn. Okay. Um, I know. Cultural I know. references that are just lost. Um, <laughs> I get the Goonies. Know... Okay. Okay, Flory. You, do you remember the name of the quote-unquote monster in the Goonies? Mm-hmm. Um, what is Oh, I, I said mm-hmm. I know who you're talking about. I can't yes, think of okay. the name. Um, Basically, he's Superman. The yeah, yeah, he's going to be that character where you're kind of like weirded out and sketched out and mm-hmm. like a little like, uh, what's this at first? But you know, is going to be like the the kind of heartwarming. They're going to be a hero for you. They're going to show up in some ways. I feel like this story was very predictable. Like I think they set up so much, and maybe I'm jumping the gun here. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but I think they set up so much of like. Oh, look at how you see the world. And then what? This was all different than what you were expecting. Like, I think the the security guard stepfather is supposed to be seen as like, you know, a real paranoid hard ass. And you're actually going to come to find out like he has good reason to be. And he's actually a way more sympathetic character and um, isn't as bad. I thought you were talking more in like a like a. Uh, weekday drama CW type way where this custodian is being set up to take a bullet for you in the final episode. Oh no, no, no! I think I think this is I think this is in the vein of like eighties or you know eighties type movies. Like I think the you've watched a John Hughes film before. Um, therefore, I know American culture. Like I think that's kind of what this is being set up in a lot of ways. And hey, maybe he does take the bullet and. You know, that, that could be a totally legit path, but I think we're expecting the. I think we're supposed to not like the security guard right now. And I think there's supposed to be an arc there where you come to like be, oh, he's right. You know, like, oh, he's actually a good guy. Mm-hmm. 
Flora, you've been waiting to jump out of your skin here for 30 seconds. No, no, it's not even that big of a thing. I'm just thinking, like, well, we kind of do make this Samuel character take a bullet, metaphorically speaking, um, because one of the weird, in in my opinion, kind of annoying puzzles of the dormitory section is where you have to um, sabotage a paint bucket that this poor guy, he's just doing his job, and you just, like, you finagle the little handle, and you turn on the sprinklers to, you know, kind of make Victoria angry and, and jump in the right position. And um, you cover her in paint and ruin her cashmere outfit that is apparently really <laughs> expensive. And um, and this poor guy, once again, he was just doing his job and minding his own business. She insults him and, and calls him a creep and, and everything else. And um, if you don't have the context of this character, I understand why you might get some strange, mm, weird vibes. But not <laughs> five. <laughs> but... But but at the same time, I, I, I worry that this is presented through the lens of this really snobbish character who simply condescends to everyone and insults and debases everyone that she interacts with. You remember mm. being a teenager? Not that kind of teenager. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I was that bad, but I definitely, I definitely was not a nice person in the way that I wanted to. So you talked about the paint bucket puzzle. So I think all three of us in this case did the same thing and we comforted Victoria. And I did it, and I don't know why I did it, because I felt Victoria was a bad person and was mean to me and bullied me. So this was my opportunity to kind of have like a Nelson from Simpsons ha-ha moment, and I didn't take it, and I don't know why. Like, big bad me should have taken you're it, an, and I You're didn't. a mature adult right now. You're not a teenager yeah, but who's I playing don't this game and be. role-playing it. Yeah, like, I, I also looked at it, and I was like, oh, man. Like, I don't know what I would have done as a teenager. I think I would have been, like, ha, F you, you know, like, really <laughs> rub it in. Um, but as an adult, I'm like, yeah, look, like, you know, eye for an eye, you make the world go blind. Like, let's, uh, let's, 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 you know, peace and love, right? Let's take that John Lennon. So I was like, let, let me try and, let me try and see if I can patch this over, right? Like, I haven't done anything bad to her as far as she knows, and this could be the olive branch that helps turn her around. I don't think it was, but it was worth <laughs> the effort. Uh, Flora, you also did the same thing, right? In this playthrough, yes. I couldn't say what I did in my original playthrough, but I this approach, I was thinking to myself, like some of the insults she's throwing at you and some of the kind of crude remarks she's making are so pathetic and pitiful that they aren't even like landing as like sincere. They're just simply cringe, kind of going back to that like outsider's culture writing perspective. She'll say things like, oh, sad face and whatnot. That just kind of launched me out of my skull. But um, <laughs> but I was able to forgive her in this instance, um, having some additional context. So. Speaking of cringe, there is some really bad, like, really bad teen speak or whatever that happens. Shakabra. Yeah, just some, <laughs> just some really bad that are like, this makes no sense. No Let's kid, rave. Has, no kid has ever <laughs> spoken like this. You know, it really felt like the writers were Steve Buscemi coming in and saying, hello, fellow kids. Like, uh, that's what it felt pit. like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, let's have a mosh pit. Was I think a that's a literal example. Line. Yeah, that was a great example. Um, yeah, but I, you know, one of the one of the weird things, and maybe I'm being too critical here, because when I think about it, I was like, oh, I do remember being more playful with language when I was like a teenager and like in university, where I would be more comfortable just trying trying stuff than I do as an adult, where I'm trying to express my personality less with like unique language choices 
um, and where it's just less important. So yeah, on some level, I think they missed with, with a lot of the, like the dialogue, but at the same point, it is on some level realistic for a teenager to like be playful in that way and try things that are in retrospect cringy. Can I share a similar thing, not about language, but where I thought that like, this isn't how this works. When you're going through the dorms, uh, there's really like two parts of chapter three, uh, going in the dorms, uh, fetching a, a USB drive. There's a confrontation. But the thing that really got me was there's a, you go into a dormitory of one of the girls in, in your dorm and she just has a pregnancy test like sitting, you can walk into her room and there's just a pregnancy test sitting on her desk. I'm like, come on. Like the OC wouldn't even do this. The extra weird thing about it too is how clear the privacy violations are in the setup of this. (laughs) And it's relying on the fact that you have a rewind mechanic. Like no character would ever actually act this way had they not had the ability to just rewind time whenever they want. And it was it was just very clear, like, yeah, I'm just going to go snoop in this room and then rewind because my character is supposed to remember everything I do before I hit rewind, except in the one case where it actually matters and I'm grabbing files from the top of this garage and every single time I do it, they fall into a puddle of oil, even though I'm supposed to know that when I when I rewind, know the outcome of what happens and not make that mistake again. There, I've got and it look, off my I- chest. I understand that this is like a vehicle to move the story forward and to give your character information. Um, but it's almost like they, it's self-referential at one point where they're like, yep, uh, Max likes snooping. Whoop, whoop. Like that's, it, it happens so often that it, it becomes a joke in, in the, in the universe. And I think it has to happen to share the story. It's, I mean, it's a video game. It's not a TV show. Um, but I just think in the way it's self-referential is maybe a little bit, like maybe two on the nose. Yeah. Uh, pregnancy test, USB, uh, confrontation between, yeah. Printing, walking into someone's dorm and printing an email (laughs) from their inbox. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. The printing of the email felt like almost like a, a trail was being left of evidence. And like, there was also this strange context of Max's sticky note or sorry, sorry. Her USB was taken and a sticky note was left on her desk saying, hey, I borrowed your your flash drive. Like, I can't think of the last time, like probably ever in my life that, number one, someone saw themselves into my living space, but also they're just, they needed my flash drive. Like, that's just such an archaic and antiquated thing to need. And it just kind of needlessly dates this, this as a time period. Like, we were talking about how the technology integration of this story feels weird. Like, it's kind of retro for the time period in which this story is ostensibly set. And that's just one of the, especially the printing of the email. That that is some really just why not forward it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then you'd have to delete. I don't know. I was thinking that through today. Forward and delete. Forward and delete. Who who hasn't that's, done that's that? That's the the words of like that's Elm level like email. Like isn't that what they called email at first? Elm. I don't know. I'm dating myself anyway. But then Max uh, brings that printed out email to another person to get her to move out of the way so she could then invade the other dorm. And so like the printout, the girl doesn't even ask where she got it from. It's it's just unusual. She has a camera phone. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think the big thing to remember here is that one of the characters um, in the dorm, is it is it Kate? Um, no, it's Juliet, who is, I believe, pregnant or was pregnant at one point. That's all we need was to remember. Was it Juliet or was it Dana? No, 
Juliet was blocking the door, right? Yes. That's the one who quizzes you on her last name, yes. which is ironic that we're yes. forgetting her name now. Uh, let me yeah. tell you, I did Google search it because I wanted to get the right name. I was like, I've got time. Watson. I'm going to Google search I guess, this. And guess correctly. Oh, look at you. <laughs> um, and so I think Dana's the pre- the one who was pregnant with the pregnancy test in the room that you go snooping around at. Um, and that you're in the situation where like you can kind of press her on it and be a real snoop and tell her you've heard these rumors and stuff. Um, and I, it doesn't go anywhere now. Who knows if it picks up later, but it seems like you're very right, Jacob. It felt like an OC. It felt like a really like weird teen drama thing to do. Of like, Oh, by the way, we're ratching it right up. If you didn't think like a kid bringing a gun to school and killing someone in the first 15 minutes or teen whatever pregnancy. was big. Yeah. Teen pregnancy. Here we go. What else can we add? Abusive parents? Maybe. Let's see if we get there by the end of the episode. Security guard harassing girl. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Which, Which is the third big choice that we need to talk about here because for some reason it's a choice. It feels like, yeah, I, that's exactly what I wanted to bring up. It doesn't feel like a real choice. It doesn't feel like a real choice. I took a photo at first and then she gets upset and I was like, wait, why can't I take a photo and walk over there? There's These are not like so dependent that they both take a lot of time and both require split decisions. Yeah. That's addressed at the end of the episode. Like, um, Chloe mentions that her, her stepdad, um, like, like once they decide to kind of unite against him, like, Oh, we should in fact get a photo of him. So I believe if you end the episode, having that photo, um, in your hands, then that like accelerates the process of their investigation somehow. Um, if as a player you had up to that point, not decided that David was a bad guy, um, then you might be inclined um, to just intervene and you know stick up for the friend. But um, I agree that choice is very um, it, it feels it falls flat in this scheme of this is like a consequential sort of decision. In this case, um, this does the telltale thing where it says like out of these decisions, this is globally what people did. Um, I was the one who took took the photo. Uh, I was with twelve percent of players, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in this playthrough, I think both of y'all um, intervened. Correct. Correct. I, I actually started by taking the photo, and then when I saw the outcome, I was like, "Oh, I don't want this. I'm rewinding time." Yeah, that I, I did the same thing, but I decided to take the photo, and I can explain. Flora nailed it. Like that's what happens in the end. Um, so I don't. I don't really think we need to. We need to cover it ad nauseum. The fight in the parking lot. <laughs> Warren and Nathan. So Warren wants his so- USB key back or his USB yeah. stick. You go to deliver it to him. He's starting to put on the Mac. You know, he's like, he's feeling, he's feeling <laughs> you. Right. And then, uh, boy, does the rich kid with the gun come up and start threatening you because he owns this town. As if you don't know that as someone who grew up here. Um, <laughs> and boy, is it weird what, what ends up happening. So um, Chloe in a truck comes up and basically hits him. And then. Uh, what's his name? Walter? Warren? William? Warren. Warren. They just call him Big I'm just W because you're not going to remember. You know what? I'm just going to come up with a, dub, a different W male name every single time. So William decides he's going to start fighting <laughs> with uh, with boy with a gun um, because he has no context that this guy has a gun um, and takes a, takes a real shiner for you. And that gives you an opportunity to hop in the car with Chloe, which feels like a really shitty thing to do. <laughs> Like this guy's fighting for you. Leave him. Yeah, like bye. <laughs> Hope you have fun with him, man. Who's fighting the guy who was trying to fight me? Have a good fight. Yeah, this uh, doesn't feel right. 
and in the car you learn about Chloe and Max and how they used to be friends and one of them moved away and Chloe looks so much different, changed her hair, got an arm tattoo, uh, and you make it to, to her house where your camera broke in the confrontation and really gameplay-wise what you're doing for most of the rest of the episode is trying to find a small set of screwdrivers to fix your camera and in that process you go through Chloe's home and discover a lot about Max, her stepfather, who's a security guard at the school, as well as what Chloe's has happened stepfather. to Chloe over uh, Chloe's stepfather and what has happened to Chloe over the past five years. And also, casually, it's also Max's birthday. Yeah, it is Max's birthday. Which is br- weirdly added, Max's but birthday. doesn't really do anything. So. Except here's a new camera. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So again, this is where I found the it the most frustrating with this rewind mechanic because. At every point earlier, your character is able to go through time, experience it, rewind time, and remember what happened previously. So you're able to remember the answer to Mr. Jefferson's questions. You're able to remember the quote that he's going to read off to you. And you can preempt him by getting the, the answer correct. But in this case, one of the key plot elements is you need to go find this folder above his uh, above his workstation and when you pull it down it falls into the oil which is the key sign for him that someone's been snooping around his things but no matter how many times you rewind and try it again every time you end up pulling it into the oil which to me says like max is real slow because you just need to pull something up to make sure it doesn't fall in that oil again. Like you've experienced, like my Max experienced it four or five times. You think she would have learned, but no, there was no choice to. It's funny that you're, this was such a a fulcrum of frustration for you because in my replay, both attempts this last week, um, the oil file thing is not an experience that I had to engage with. I didn't interact with any such scenario. And so I guess that's just optional. Um, the like inside of Chloe's house, um, they start playing a song on the CD player, and then Max then has the ability to roam the house. And in the span of that one song playing, I was able to walk down into the garage, grab the screwdrivers, come back up uh, before the song had even finished. And I totally bypassed because I had already, in my very first playthrough, kind of read everything and looked at all the photos and listened to the answering machine and all those things. Um, I completely forgot about the oil thing, and I guess um, if that is the pretext for David then barging into Chloe's room and interrupting their little hangout session. Um, in my playthrough, um, David just comes through and says, hey, one of my guns is missing. And um, and he's suspicious because Chloe was blaring uh, quote-unquote punk music. And, yeah. uh, and uh, he's apparently yelled at her for that before. And um, she's been smoking marijuana. And so that's obviously a major concern for him is this like authoritarian, very hyper-masculine military bro guy. Um Probably shouldn't have thrown bro on there. I think maybe we can no, I, that. But he's, rest... he's very masculine, right? Yes. Like he, he falls into a lot he's of He's former bad. Jarhead, correct? Yeah. Like he, he was in the army or navy or something. Which, I got to be honest. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure everyone's got different political views, but like I, I felt like she was really disrespectful to him. And it doesn't seem like there's, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's super justified. Like he is oh. a, a father figure at you know, really? And he is a veteran and she's like, you're a mall cop. And he's like, look, like, <laughs> like, yeah, but I was, I was, I'm a veteran. It's not like I'm coming at this from like being Paul Blart, you know, like he's really coming at this with like some life experience. Um, and while I agree 
you know, he was seriously paranoid and the, the snooping is real bad, like the security cams and stuff. Um, there's a girl that, that Chloe is very close to, which I don't think we've talked about yet. Our own Laura Palmer, uh, that goes missing, right? Um, Rachel Amber. Yes. Yes. Sorry. The Laura Palmer reference for those that don't know is that is the the girl who goes missing in Twin Peaks, right? This game at every point is trying to reference uh, Pacific Northwest cultural artifacts and nothing is a bigger Pacific Northwest cultural artifact than Twin Peaks. Um, And so, yeah, they decided to have their own version. But yeah, so anyways, he's justified. Like, I think on some level he's justified of like, yeah, this girl's (sighs) missing and she was close to my, like, stepdaughter. I don't think his, like, paranoia is out of nowhere yeah but i think that and and maybe flora you, you know a little bit more since you've you've played the the further episodes but i'm getting vibes that it seems like here's the stuff we know there's a gun that's taken out of the garage there is security cameras that uh her father has set up in the school and in her room uh they are under mountains of debt both chloe has debt and her father has debt, and we don't know why. Past due. Uh, past, past due on basically every bill in the house. But I also get the feeling that there might be some stuff with Chloe's mother that we don't have a full purview on yet. We have not met her yet. We have only no. had... Picture. We've only had her being talked about, oh, I miss her food. Or, oh, she looks happy here. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get anything straight from her yet, which I'm sure we're going to go to that diner. It's, it's without a doubt. Um, but yeah, like on some level, like with indulge me a little bit, I, they're, I think they're obviously trying to set up the, um, the, the, the security guard, the stepfather figure as like a shady character who should not be trusted as the villain. And I think the, like very, the, the obvious low hanging fruit is you find out towards the end that like, oh, he's not actually the villain. He was a good guy and he was trying to protect X, Y, and Z person along the way. Um, and hey, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I'm willing to ride this theory to the end of the game. Yeah, I was wondering why you had such a positive or at least like not an antagonistic impression of this character, because I distinctly remember like looking at David and how he's presented as the, like all of these negative attributes, these really hostile exchanges. And I left the first episode personally feeling no sympathy towards his character at all. Um, Same. I, I don't necessarily uh, want to foreshadow anything um, one way or the other. But I don't actually, I will say this, I don't actually really like his character, all things considered. Mm. Like, um, so, so maybe you're right in your suspicions there, um, but I still at this point, I don't look at David and think like, oh, great guy. You, you know what it is? I, I'm like f- completely forthright. I think it would be super boring storytelling if you could already figure out who the villain is mm. and they don't subvert your expectations. So I'm expecting my expectation mm-hmm. to be subverted, especially when they set someone up as a villain this hard this quickly. And that's a trope of adventure games in this genre, right? Like basically every all the Telltale games we mentioned kind of do exactly that. There's this like main presented villain at the beginning and then all of a sudden twist. And that's what brings the fourth or fifth episode together. Uh, that is in the formula, I would say. This reminds me a lot of a Lifetime movie. Uh, I don't know if y'all are familiar. Um, my mother watches a lot of uh, movies from the Lifetime channel um, where you could literally name it. It's like, you know, Babysitter's Crush or Teacher's Pet. Like, that's literally the names of these movies. And a lot of the time, they either heavy-handed throw it at you 
because the antagonist is the antagonist um, or because there's a twist. So I'm just saying like, Mike, it's either he's the bad guy or the bad guy is going to be Nathan Prescott and we'll see what happens. I, I, I don't know. But I think that the two things we have left to discuss here are the final choice and the way the episode ends. Um, this choice, there's four options. We've already talked about it a little bit, but David walks in and you have a few different options you can go at. You can either take the blame for Chloe, you can blame Chloe as Max, you can stay hidden, or you can you can come out of hiding. Um, I came out of, I did both and then decided to land on coming out of hiding to, to intervene. Uh, what did y'all do? I came Flora, out. Flora, why don't you, and, why don't you I, go first? And I covered. Oh. You did the same. You came yeah. out of hiding and intervened. Yeah. Okay. I also emerged from hiding, um, although I will say in my first playthrough, I did the opposite. I stayed hiding because Chloe explicitly says, if I get discovered with you in my room, I'm going to get killed. Like, she frames it as this is a catastrophe. She doesn't care about the little burning joint in the room. She doesn't care about the violated rules about loud music or anything. It, she does care, however, and she makes it pretty clear to Max, hey, you cannot come out of this closet. Um, but in the most recent playthrough, I felt like it was the right thing to do. Like, th this clearly is a... Um, um, a power dynamic between David and Chloe that is being exploited against her and it doesn't matter if Chloe had a good reason or not for what she was doing she's gonna lose this power exchange no matter what how it's gonna go down I don't know if my Max got into the closet I don't I think that I might be misremembering but I think the timer might have run out because I tried hiding under the bed I tried hiding in Ooh. the closet and I couldn't figure out how to get into the closet and I was very frustrated with the game because I'm like these controls suck like, I hate the camera movement. I hate moving my character. I don't know if you're trying to make me feel like a teenager who feels awkward in their body because I feel awkward navigating this character. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I ran out and he was like right there and then asks, who? oh, you're smoking weed too? Like, whose weed is this? And then uh, I end up taking the blame. And then I realize I look especially bad to this guy. I have been at the scenes of a lot of crimes for him. <laughs> I've been there when the fire alarm is pulled. I've been there when I'm defending Kate. And I was there when his stepdaughter uh, is smoking weed and being rebellious. So needless to say, I, I understood, you know, I put it through the filter of like, well, is this unreasonable? I'm like, yeah, I've been this guy's pain in the ass all day long. Like, no wonder he's upset. I just want to quickly talk about what happened after I came to intervene and you find out that Chloe did have the gun. She just had a gun. Yeah. Ah! And she deflects the accusation initially because she's like, oh, I mean, I believe in gun control. Of course I wouldn't have a gun. Uh, but the Yeah, when this... I control the gun. Yeah, that's just going to be, again, <laughs> cringe. Oh, my God. It... When the men don't control the wow. gun, I do. Yeah. Which, yo, I'm all for feminism, but just the delivery of that line just made me cringe well, a little bit. She's not even a consistent feminist in that regard because there, there's this weird misandric line directed at just men generally. But like in her, in her room, scrabbled on her wall somewhere, it says like "think like a man" and like other like. There's just these weird mixed messages going on in the environment. Um, it was. It, it struck me very much like heavy rain. Jacob, Jacob, you is know, that the kid's name? Jason. I think so. Jason, yeah. Sorry, I think I'm just I'm thinking Jacob. Like, you're projecting naturally. Yeah, exactly. Um, Press X to Jacob. Yeah, Jake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like that. It just struck me as like this is a very weird. Again, like you're you're a cultural outsider. 
writing about the things you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, writing about the thing I know, being a teenage girl in the Pacific Northwest. That's what they did. Do you remember what happened in the other outcome if you decided not to intervene? It didn't seem like there was a rep- the, the gun revelation didn't happen and it just seemed like you got the same ending but no you don't know that Chloe has the gun. I honestly uh, have no idea, but I'm yeah. I'm glad I'm glad I chose what I chose as much as um my max chastised me for doing it. Um and I felt like it I don't know, like this game is not subtle about what it's trying to do. Like I don't think it's a coincidence that you're um, that your character has like a catcher in the rye equivalent poster in their in their bedroom. Um, like, I I assume your character's supposed to be a little bit like a shit to the world, and it's weird that she chastises you, the player, for making the choices you do. About I really need to like be careful about my scholarship and all of these things. When it's like, yo, like I didn't make these choices because I thought I had a real choice. Like I made these choices because a kid's waving a gun, you know? <laughs> and because my friend just saved me from the kid with the gun. You know, it's it just, yeah. We finish with a scene at the same, we basically finished the episode the same way we started, where you're at the lighthouse uh, that you saw in the beginning and you flip back and forth between a dreamlike state or, or like a a vision, if you will, and real life. And so you have a vision that there is a huge tornado that is coming to town in the next, I think it's four days. There's a tornado that's going to hit the, the very small town in Oregon that you live in. And then you have a bit of a wrap up with um, between Max and Chloe. Um, if you had the photo, the photo gets spoken about. Um, but if you do not, I don't know what happens. So out on the bench um, by the lighthouse, Chloe and Max agree that they are going to try and catch David in the act. They kind of conspire against him, but that that just sort of sets their uh, plan in motion for the next episode. There's no real uh, event that transpires there on the bench. I think it ends in exactly the same place. Do you get a revelation about Nathan there as well? Because I know there's discussion about Nathan's secret. Yeah, the the bit that I got out of my playthrough most recently was that Chloe was drugged by Nathan and that um, one of the, like the context with which she was drugged involved um, her being indebted for a lot of money. And uh, we can assume that, you know, drugs were already involved in how this money was accrued uh, or this debt was accrued rather. But the, the drugging of it all seems like one of the uh, main reasons why the gun was pulled in the bathroom at the beginning of the episode to begin with. So. And then we're, we're left with our, our decisions and the summary and uh, you could start the game immediately. Like you could start chapter two. Like there was almost like a Netflix style countdown in the remaster yeah. where it's like you're going to start in five, four, three. But hey, that's the next episode. Go ahead, Flora. Uh, the one thing that I, I wanted to see if either of you, since this is your first playthrough, I don't remember noticing this at the end. There's a montage. Did anything stick out to either of you in what we were shown in this final montage of episode one? No, nothing stuck out stuck out to me. Stuck out. So we see so one of the things we should mention is like snow is falling in eighty degree weather and that's an anomaly. Like the weather, there's some like magical realism happening, and then the camera pans out with a nice little hippy dippy song where we see some of these other characters, you know, like working on their house or doing a, a little pensive reflection out at the sunset. Um but if we didn't notice any details in the montage, then I will leave it to the listeners to uh to dig around for next time. I, f- I forgot about the snow. Like, I-, I just played this today. 
but the snow is the thing that I that I forgot about. So so thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, snow in the Pacific Northwest never happens. So yeah, and it's not just the weather either. There's like a deliberate shot. We see something, and it's not people, and that is the episode teasing us. The diner. I will leave it to the listener. Okay, because I do remember a shot of the diner. I'm like, ah, that's where we're gonna go. But um, yeah, other than that, nothing really stood out. Well, hey, you'll have to wait until next month to find out what happened in episode two of Life is Strange. Uh, that episode will be our second episode in March um, that will be coming out on March 16th. So stay tuned for that. Uh, you can find all things Left Behind Game Club at Left Behind Club on Twitter, at Left Behind Game Club on Instagram. And if you want to join in the discussion, uh, we're going to create a Life is Strange channel Ooh. where you can talk about spoilers for the game. Uh, you can find the link to that at leftbehindgame.club slash Discord. If you like the show, give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Spotify has reviews for podcasts now, so listen to us on Spotify and give us five stars and uh, hey, if you like the show, send it to a friend because that helps. Uh, y'all, I'm super excited to jump into this journey with you guys, uh, with this journey with y'all. It's going to be five months. It's going to be fun. Um, any final thoughts? No final uh, thoughts. We're just at the beginning. Yeah, I, I find it quite striking that we haven't uh, already had this series exist on the podcast. So I'm really excited that like my first episode coming on as more of like a full time sort of contributor um, that that's this is a really special game to kind of hop on board with. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing your reactions over the next several episodes. Uh, beyond that, uh, to tease what's coming in the future, um, you also have another very special game that is, is true to your heart that is coming very soon. So to close the episode, I'd love for you to talk about where you can be found and maybe tease that episode. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, if you want to get in contact with me directly, uh, the best place is Twitter. So if you look me up at, at LudoNarrativeFM, um, I'm pretty active on Twitter and uh, I post about the games that I'm currently playing, etc. Um, you can also find my work on epiloggaming.com. I've got uh, some new articles coming out here soon. One on uh, Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door and soon after Ooh. one on Sable. So uh, those are coming soon. Uh, and the next game... Should I just say what what I'll be covering next time? Yeah. We are going to yeah. be covering a favorite of mine that took several playthroughs for me to feel comfortable playing, a game called Celeste. I look forward to talking about Ooh. that with you all. Uh, Mike is ready. Flora is ready. Special guest is ready. Um, I'm super excited to listen. So uh, thank you for, for coming on the show. Uh, welcome to the Left Behind Game yeah. Club crew. Uh, and we are so happy to, to have you. So thank you for, for coming around. Yes, today. Thank very, you so much. Very happy to have you. So excited. Mike, where can you be found on the internet? The fine folks can find me at Ruffalo M on most social places online or michaelruffalo.com. You can also find me in the Discord fighting nerds with spoons and uh, giving Jacob new domain names. This week, it's oopsie.poopsie.store. Um, and that will link to this episode. Or oopsiepoopsie.store. My bad. It was I my oopsie. <laughs> I can't wait for the vanity URLs you're going to continue yeah, they're to gonna buy be great. here. Um, uh, Jacob, do you have one planned here or no? Oh, yeah. This one's going to be oopsiepoopsie.shop. No, do you have an, the next one? Oh, already? oh no, not yet. But I, I will I will adjust as we go. I'm sure there will be more. Jacob, where can the fine folks find you online? Uh, you can find me on the internet at Jacob McCord on all major social media platforms. J-A-C-O-B-M-C-C-O-U-R-T. Twitter is probably the best place to find me, but I'm posting daily content on TikTok uh, for the foreseeable future. 
So if you want to find out uh, about video game news in bite-sized portions, uh, you can find me at Jacob McCord on TikTok. Michael, uh, close us out. And that, my friends, is one less episode left behind. Uh, Mike, before you buy more vanity URLs, uh, what do we always say at the end of the show? And that, my friends, is one less place. Or, oh, sorry, you know, <laughs> you know what? You got me screwed up because I don't think we did you, Jacob. Oh, I didn't do. Me. I don't yeah. think you okay. I was gonna, I was gonna Odd. throw to you, and then you threw to me, and I was like, ah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, throw to me. Okay. Hey, I'm Jacob McCord. I'm Katie Lasbrons. And I'm Travis Colnett. We are hosting a brand new podcast called Cutscenes. There are tons of video game podcasts and tons of TV film podcasts, but we're going to bring you the intersection of both and talk about video game, movies, and TV. I know what you're thinking. Aren't most of them not very good? Wrong. Some of them are fine. And we're going to tell you all about them. Make sure to subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. Follow us on Twitter at Cutscenes underscore pod. And most importantly, give us a listen. See you soon. Cutscenes, a video game movie podcast.